Welcome to The Protectors. I have an excellent guest today. This is a topic that really touches close to me at home because I have a young daughter and I think, you know, as she grows older, am I going to have to deal with someone stalking her? And it's not just my daughter, it's my son too, but the reality is it happens to a lot of females. Lenora, Claire, welcome and thanks for coming on and share your story. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And actually, to add that, it happens to a lot of people. I, I do a lot of restraining orders for men, men as well. So I totally get that being the protective father. And you're right, it is a lot of women, but it, it, it's men too. 7.5 million stalked. Yeah, according to that CDC. That blows my mind. It's, and honestly, it's probably much higher. It's one of those crimes that's largely underreported. So if that's what they're telling you statistically, you can almost count the fact that it's it's higher than that. Why is it underreported? Is it just because, you know, a lot of times it falls on a wayside of what police have going on right now? Or is just it's hard to get a restraining order? So people are like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go forward. There's a lot of misunderstanding about how the, you know, the criteria for how to get a restraining order. For a lot of people, they think they can handle it on their own. For a lot of times, it's sort of um, in the DV overlap. So people might consider what's happening and they call it domestic violence and they don't use the language calling it stalking. So there's that as well. And then you have people where, you know, like even for myself, there were, there were years where I would normalize my rape and death threats because I went for help and nobody would help me. And I just, you know, in my circumstance, it was that the individual was bouncing around from location to location and they were like yeah you'll get a restraining order but you won't know how to serve them it's a multi-state issue so there's a there's a lot of reasons why plus people just don't report crimes in general you know it's a lot of people who for different reasons that's just that's just not something that they're either comfortable doing or uh they're just too scared well you know one thing about your stalker too is that it was a brief moment you met them him and then all of a sudden it went on for years and years and years. And it's you're victimized over and over again, especially by the judicial the judicial system and then not being able to to get long term custody of him because of his moving around, because nobody knows where he's at and because of law. Well, it's yeah, it goes even deeper than that. I actually caught my own stalker and handed him over to LAPD. Um, I actually got the thing most people don't get, which I'm using air quotes since they can't see me, of justice, which is where I got him on felony stalking max. It's just the laws are so weak that, you know, we're not able to keep people for very long. And and for those listeners who aren't familiar with my story, I'm 10 years and still going. My stalker gets out in two weeks. And just like every other time, he'll reoffend in a couple days and then It'll take a minute. He'll go back in for a period of time. It's just a revolving door. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And you bring up a good point. If you've if anybody's seen um, anything about you, they know that you know Trump's daughter was stalked by the same stalker, and they have access to security. Not seven point five million people out there do not have all have access to personal security, and even if they do have access to personal security, that's a twenty four seven operation that's really pricey police yeah, the yeah. i said the burden oh, always no. falls on the victim the burden always falls on the victim yeah and you know what uh, that's one thing we're going to talk about in a little while is survivors and victims and the burden and the re-victimization of the whole judicial system we'll talk about that in a minute but yeah. you know when it comes to you being stalked and having that emotional trauma over and over again for a decade um, it must weigh heavy on you. 
Yeah, it does. Although I've, I've sort of reached a part of my journey where it's cathartic for me to help other people and just go, well, this didn't all happen to me for nothing. So I'm able to use my story, whether it's the media to explain what the crime is like, or for example, I'm on the Los Angeles district attorney crime victims advisory board. So I advocate for all gender-based crimes in LA. So I've used it to help other people. So that kind of helps me with dealing with it every day. You know, I mean, isn't that typical? A lot of us, we go, well, I've, I've done as much as I can for myself. Let me, let me work on other people. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of how we get through it. So. No, that's the absolute truth. I think you'll find anybody like in this protector's community is that if they've been a victim of something or if they've gone through a traumatic event, a lot of times it is cathartic. A lot of times it gives them a new mission to go and help other people. And that's kind of what this whole protector's type uh, mantra I have is that it's not just law enforcement, military or anybody else. It's it's everybody protecting those and those that they love. And, uh, and those that they care for. So it's not just, you know, we all have to be our own protector. And I like seeing, I, I love, I, you know, what I've re- read about you, about the GPS is about the green rooms for victims, about technological solutions. These are all great things and they're not monetarily wise. We throw money at like, you know, crazy things in the government. Uh, I know I've been working there for but 20 something years. But you do bring up um, one thing, a simple solution is, you know, I've been through the judicial system as a special agent and other other uh, means. I know what it's like to go to court and have witnesses there waiting to come in and testify. A lot of times people don't realize the witnesses are sitting in outside the courtroom waiting and then they're out there either with the offenders family friends or any other associate has access to them and you brought up a great point of having some type of green room Mm -hmm. for victims and survivors i think that's absolutely amazing i think they should yeah especially when i'm doing i've done over 100 restraining orders after 100 i'm like it's not a frozen yogurt punch card i'm not counting how many 100 i'll stop counting but you know sitting in on 100 on top of the one i did for myself um yeah you're exactly right you're you're there being intimidated and it's awful and especially you know i live in la where the the city of the green room. So it's like, why, why couldn't we have one? Sometimes, sometimes they do do them for like murder trials, but specifically on like restraining order hearings and sex assault, they don't. So that's something that I've been pushing for here in Los Angeles. How's it going with that? Um, you know, I submitted it formally <clears throat> through the DA's office. And so it's not really a DA specific thing. So it's my understanding that within their infrastructure, they're going to try and, you know, speak to the court. So ex- exactly. I, I, you have to go through all these different channels. It's so easy to say, Hey, you got a spare room like you and I know this, but just to get that. And then it's and then it's the, how do how do we notify when it's your turn to go in? Do you have a closed circuit camera? Do you have a person who's a dedicated person? So, you know, I look, I'm the idea person. I can let them all make it actually functioning and happening. So any engineers or bureaucratic geniuses out there want to help out? Think about it. I mean, the, you know, there are you know, the government is full of paperwork. That's true. But. When you have something as important as this, it doesn't cost a lot of money and doesn't cost a lot of resources that you're not already using. Um, It's a win-win. I mean, so anybody out there, really, you need to take a look at what Lenore is doing. Thank you. So the other thing, too, is you talk about stalkers. And one thing I am very keen on is GPS tracking and technologically tracking these individuals. So let's say you get a restraining order on them. Mm -hmm. Um, Not knowing where that uh, subject is, that's the danger. That's danger right there. You can't prepare. You can't always be looking over your shoulder and you can't afford 
365 security. So GPS, that is an excellent idea. I say if you get a restraining order, boom, you get an automatic GPS. Yeah. So to give you a little history with that, I first brought the idea in 2015. Congressman Schiff walked me into Jackie Lacey, who was our then DA's office. And I brought this idea in 2015. People didn't quite understand geofencing the way that we do now, right? Like technology is finally kind of catching up with everybody. And so, for example, my stalker, when he's out, he wears an ankle monitor, but they only check those once a week. I don't know if people even realize that, right? So I'm all about giving power, restoring power back to victims, and in this case, literally putting it in their hands. So what I want to see and what I've been advocating and asking for is specifically an app that would use geofencing that's you know, attached to the, the offender's ankle monitor. And, you know, I know the ACLU will be all up, all up in it and saying, no, we don't want to track them all. I don't want to track them all the time. I want to track them in relation to the victim. So if the protective order is a thousand feet, then ding, 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 you get your thousand feet warning. And therefore, you know, we're, you, you see where I'm going with this. This is just very common sense. And I, I, I really hope that we get it, but yeah, I've been advocating for it since 2015. And maybe at some point, some point, someone to listen to any of my great ideas. It was so much, in fact, that I actually, um, with my partner, Jess Gilbert, we formed the Innovative Justice Alliance, which is our new organization where we're looking specifically at the intersection of technology and innovation with protecting people. That is an excellent idea. Six years ago, technology, you know, it was very limited when it came to GPS. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, working for the government, I do know the capabilities of GPS and ankle monitors. Uh, even going back to 2009, 2010, you can do 24 seven monitoring. You can do real time monitoring. Yeah. So this is something very, very useful. And it's not like you have to charge the battery nowadays with technology. So if you're wearing an ankle bracelet, you used to have to charge it nightly. Now you could, you know, a charge is going to last a few days. And if that provides some sort of semblance of safety for a victim of stalking, it's worth it. And it should be a condition of release. It's either, hey, you know what? We got a restraining order on, on you, but we have enough PC to put you away. But current and current, whatever, you need to wear this. So I, I, I really do. I'm a strong advocate of GPS for that. Yeah, especially since we all know a lot of states are moving away from incarceration for various reasons. And so if we're going to do that, we can't leave victims hanging in the wind. So I think we really need to sort of, you know, build these programs in if we're going to be putting people out early. And you know what? You aren't just the good idea fairy. You're actually bringing realistic solutions to real problems. Yeah. So let's talk about your advocacy and your, then now I, you know, one thing I really like is a lot of true crime is in true crime is absolutely in. You can go on Netflix, you can go on Hulu, you can go on any streaming device right now and find 50 million shows about true crime. Now, one thing is when you bring up, you know, uh, any cases in the past, there's always a victim and that victim always has family. It always has friends. What is your next step when it comes to true crime and your advocacy there? Yeah. So I actually just formed Lenora Claire Consulting and Lenora Claire Consulting was really so my day job for the past 10 years was entertainment. So I'm somebody with one foot in the industry and one foot in working with victims and advocacy. So I'm like, if someone's going to do it, it's going to be me. And what a lot of people don't realize is that whereas like scripted programming has the Screen Actors Guild and they have, you know, all these other sort of um, 
you know, people intervening to make sure everybody's sort of handled ethically. Unscripted programming, true programming doesn't have doesn't have anything of that sort. And so there's like there's no regulation, right? And so essentially, what my company is it's it's three tiers of services. Like so, for example, people who aren't in the industry may not know that on scripted shows, whenever there's any sexuality now, they have a role called an intimacy coordinator, which is a person who's on set just to make sure everything's above board, boundaries are respected. So I'm like, okay, great. So people portraying crime victims as actors actually have more consideration than actual victims. I see where this is going. So um, my company actually offers three tiers of services. The first tier is the onset victim liaison coordinator, which would be a person like myself who is, in fact, a crime survivor who's done plenty of media. And so we would accompany the crime survivor, the victim, the family, whoever the, the party is, you know, on set and make sure that everything is, you know, above board and that their boundaries are respected and they're doing okay. Another thing I want to see is a lot of people who are in the industry don't know this, but on shows like American Idol, before contestants go on, they have psych evaluations to make sure that if they lose or humiliated, they don't go off and harm themselves or someone else. But when we do these crime shows, people who are literally speaking about their most traumatic moments, we don't know their mental state. They may be really in a bad place. And so one of the sort of regulatory things I want to push for is making sure that they have just a real basic psych eval before they go on to make sure they're okay to go forward and do this. So we've got the onset coordinator, as I explained. And then we have the consulting tier, which is really fabulous. I put together just the like like a who's who of true crime, you know, survivors, forensic psychologists, um, homicide detectives, uh, genetic genealogists. It's really an amazing group. I'm so proud of all of them. And so on one level, you've got the consulting arm where say, I want to get retainer agreements, hypothetically, if it was Netflix, right? And if it was Netflix I had agreement with, I would say, hey, I watched the Night Soccer documentary. Great show, but can we please pull the graphic crime scene photos of the victims? You know, the story is compelling enough. We really don't need to traumatize the family and desensitize audiences. That feels really distasteful in, you know, the board's opinion. Um, Another sort of recommendation that I would make is as a stalking survivor, you know, that show you is very popular and you have such a huge platform. How cool would it be if you made little like interstitial bits of information when people are binge watching, like you get a little tip in between each show, just little things that they are not thinking about. But someone like myself, a crime survivor, who's also a TV producer, I can be the person to sort of bring that in. Um, And then the consulting, you know, so we would sort of help them be tasteful and considerate. But also, you know, if they want to talk to forensic psychologists, it'd be like, I got you, I got two right here, you know? Um, And that we also offer on-camera experts who, look, here's the thing, especially with true crime shows, you get a lot of these like, you know, YouTube university people, Wikipedia, like, okay, you may not be the most appropriate person to speak about these subjects. So why don't I give you some approved by our community people that are experts and we can, we can use them. So they're people who are vetted and I'd really just want to, I'm trying not to be contentious with the industry and be like, stop being so exploitive. I'm, I'm trying to say, let's elevate the content. I, I, cause I'm not opposed to people making, I'm really not. I, I was a true crime, you know, consumer. Of, of all these, you know, all the content before I was, you know, in this role, I just want it to be done ethically, responsibly, and make sure you don't cause more harm to people who've already been harmed. Absolutely. You know, I agree with everything you just said. We need to have people within the industry that are there, for, you know, and I do, um, I do a lot of stuff with like court TV and all these other types of shows where I'm, you know, talking head stuff. And sometimes you hear 
you know, I watch some of these other shows and like you said, YouTube university, and you're like, Oh my gosh, where do they pull up this information from? Right. Wikipedia is not, it's not a bona fide source of information. No. The other thing that kills me too is like, especially like I, 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 I had a particularly bad experience on a set with one producer and this other producer when speaking about that producer said, Oh yeah, that individual is used to covering cold case homicide. They have no idea how to talk to a living victim. And I'm like, you took the words right out of my mouth. And you know, just because someone is an incredible investigative journalist or a producer, that's not the same as lived experience. You know, that would be like an equivalent of saying, oh, I speak for a certain race because I have friends of that race. Like, no, you don't. Let them speak for themselves. Like, you do, you can be an ally to someone. You can respect somebody. But if you haven't walked the walk, you, you don't know, right? And so that's why you want to have people who've actually experienced it speaking for their communities or, you know, whatever sort of archetype that they come from. I agree because, you know, with everything that's on TV and all these documentaries now, they are living proof of history. So before you, all we had was books. Now in the past 60, 70 years, we have TV and this is going to be recorded history. So if someone like 50 years, hundred years from now goes back and watches the Ramirez killer and they're like, Oh, someone's talking out their ass. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. So having the qualified experts, absolutely. So listen, I want to do one, you know, I want to backtrack a little bit to the stalking. A lot of people don't realize what the restraining order process is. Sure. So let's say tonight um, I get off this and I start getting stalked. Mm-hmm. Um, I start getting texts. I start getting emails. Someone's like, hey, you know, Jason, I really like your show. Um, what would I do? Okay, so there's a couple different levels of restraining order, and obviously state by state it varies a little bit, but I'll just I'll just break it down for you using California, the state that I'm in. So one level is the emergency protective order. That's usually given by law enforcement when they're breaking up like a DV situation. That's its own thing, and it's very short. It's, it's immediate, right? That's separate. But if it's something like you're describing, the way it'd work in California is first we have what's called a TRO, a temporary restraining order, and it lasts for two weeks. The reason why that happens is because a lot of these situations are couples, they're fighting, they patch it back up, whatever, and they decide to get back together. So that's why you have the process. So what you would do is you would go down to your local court, and then you fill out everything, you sort of make this declaration. In most states, the criteria is like a credible threat of physical violence. So either that could be maybe someone in the past was violent to you, you're fearing them again, they're making threats to you, or behavior is escalated in such a manner where it's, it's entirely appropriate to say, I think this could then turn into a violent act, right? So then a judge looks at it, approves or denies it. Then you have to go serve the individual who then two weeks later you return back. You have the hearing where the, you know, we'll, we'll call them the offender since we're assuming that they have a, done something to merit it. We don't, right, the alleged offender, um, you know, is there to defend themselves. And then typically in California, Usually, if that's approved, it's anywhere from usually the first round is like six months to three years, sometimes five. Um, We don't have like a permanent, permanent, they call it permanent, but it's not, you know, until the end of time. I have in California a 10 year, which is pretty rare. That's the criminal one because of, you know, what happened with me. Um, But that's typically how it works. And, you know, look, judges are people and they're like, sometimes there's no like, what I, what I can say if someone's looking to get one is you really do have to have a now element, why you need this now that's really critical. You know, a lot of times they'll have people who are like, oh, this person's been harassing me for eight years. And in their mind, it's like eight years of, of them bothering them. But to a judge, it might be 
eight years, they didn't do anything violent. So like, there's a lot of stuff like that, that I sort of go over when I'm helping someone prepare for cross-exam. I like how you brought up the timeliness thing. And I would, I would throw in a little caveat there as something, uh, you know, coming from the criminal justice world and knowing what people and prosecutors want to see is write a timeline from point A to point B to point C. Cause a lot of times they look at it and go, Oh, that's why this is timely because there was a catalyst that made it timely. Yes, exactly. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. I always say too, I'm, and funny, I'm, I'm married to a lawyer and I'm like, look, lawyers and judges, their love language is, you know, it's, it's the, it's the facts too. The other thing that I also try to tell people is that, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying don't have emotion, but a lot of times I call it bad boyfriending. And it's like a judge doesn't want to know he cheated on you. Like the judge doesn't care about that. The judge wants to know that he was violent. The ju- you see what I mean? So I kind of have to like, a lot of times you're sort of managing people's, you know, and again, I, I'm not minimizing the experience and, and things like cheating or, or gaslighting are, are, are terrible things to, you know, but really you, you exactly, you want the timeline you, you want to be as credible as possible with your dates and the events and the explanations of what happened. And it really, it really does help. So yes, thank you for bringing up the timeline. And it also shows escalation because that's, that's another yes. thing. Mm-hmm. Now let's say I start getting stalked. How do I protect myself? Okay. So there's a couple of different things. Um, people don't realize that like I bet right now, I'm not for you. You're probably because of, you know, your situation, but most people <laughs> like to pay a whole dollar. And if I pay a whole dollar, I can find your address on the internet, where your parents live, where you work. There's, I I can, I don't know if there's a way for your audience, but there's, there's a bunch of different ways to opt out and wipe yourself from those places. Cause like risk minimization is everything, right? I always sort of explain it's like a condom, you know, condoms, not foolproof, but if we can 97% or so protect ourselves, that's what you want to do. And that's what we want to keep having all these barriers for safety and protection. So first thing I love to tell people is to make sure their personal information like that is wiped off the internet because I'm telling you that that dollar, they know everything about you. Um, I love, you know, everyone's got like a ring camera or a nest or I'm, I'm not affiliated with any brand. Choose, choose your own. Um, there's a lot of common sense practice, you know, stuff with social media. I'm not saying get off social media, but please use it responsibly. Don't post where you are when you're there. Be, be mindful of things like geotagging. If you think the person who may be stalking you is at all tech savvy, please don't click on suspicious links or they can get into the GPS on your phone. Same with trackers on the car. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, you know, and, and if you are being stalked, switch up your, your routine as much as possible. You know, I'm very big on the letting people know, let your neighbors know, let your workplace know, bring a picture in. There's no shame in it at this point. It's so common. It's happened to somebody in somebody's life. No one's judging you. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of shame with it. Like even when my stalker was, you know, sending death threats to my boss and I ended up losing my job. I mean, that was a really awful situation, but you know, I had to come to a place where I was like, when I, you know, new job, I have to, my life is, you know, if people are going to judge me, then this isn't the right place. People need to know. So, um, sorry, I go off on a lot of tangents. There's a lot of things that people can do and they may not realize. Well, you know, one thing they should do is they should follow you. So I want to follow your journey after this. I want to follow where you're going with the stalker. I want to know what your advocacy is doing, because I think this could really spread beyond just L.A. It's not just happening there. You know, I'm in D.C. and there's so much craziness here. It's unbelievable. It's not just major cities. It's every town. 7.5 million people stalked. Um, I commend you for what you're doing and I commend your new mission. How can everybody find you? 
Yeah, I'm really easy. Um, it's just my name, Lenora Claire. My, my Twitter is like frozen because it got hacked. So whatever, <laughs> screw you, Twitter. But uh, my Instagram is Lenora Claire. Facebook is Lenora Claire. My personal website is my name, Lenora Claire. And my consulting business, especially if there's anybody, you know, I, I, I'd love to connect with your audience if there's anybody who you know, works in these spaces. Maybe there's someone who's a great expert for me. You know, it's entirely possible. Um, they can find me at LenoraClaireLLC.com for the consulting business. Awesome, Lenora. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you.